Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjo Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And today's topic, Steps to Scaling AI. So it's one thing to have an AI concept, dream it up, then you develop a prototype, and then you play with it and eventually take it to production. But then what if you wanted to scale such an effort to build a very strong enterprise-grade AI pipeline? What would you do with the different functions you have, starting from the ideation, the innovation function, to product engineering, to product lifecycle management that you might be doing in other parts of your business, and even the governance. And maybe there is another discipline, which I may have missed out, to scale your AI efforts so that we have consistent AI-related pipeline being built, and each of the items or the capabilities we put out there for our enterprise Using AI, it always delivers well, reliably, and has a strong performance. So to discuss this, we have Mark Miller, CIO with Party City. Hey, Mark, how are you? I'm well. Thank you for the invitation. Great to have you, sir. And we also have Prasanna Kumar Buri, Group Chief, Chief Information Officer with Dangodi Industries. Hey, Prasanna, how are you? Great, Sanjog. Thanks for having me. Hey, Mark. Great to have you as well. So, Mark, let's start with you. You know, AI, as we know, we're pretty excited about it. You know, something new and cool we get to do with it. But earlier when we started, we said, oh, it's just a concept and we are trying to, it's almost in the labs. And then we, over time, started experimenting with it, putting some products out there. But then still, when we go out to people, they are still kind of fuzzy and hazy about how to take it to a level where it becomes an inherent capability for a company. So what do you see? I mean, you talk about your organization or you talk about, you know, the industries in general. What, to what degree has this excitement been converted or channelized into some stable, ongoing pipeline building for AI? Well, I think uh, the adoption has been fairly low. Like you said, uh, people have a lot of success building these models that they they go ahead and they find all of the features they want to model. They pull all of the data in. They they build the model, and then they have some success, and it's something they want to implement. And what do you do next? And so I think a lot of our organizations really aren't um, – scaled for that type of success. And I think also the organizations have a great deal of difficulty building that level of evangelism that you need to really sustain a, a AI methodology or an AI set of activities within not just the IT organization. I mean, this is an interdisciplinary sort of engagement where we need a lot of help from from the business SMEs. We need uh, an organization that's really dedicated towards the um, the procurement of AI assets and the maintenance of AI assets. So I think a lot of organizations are really struggling with that right now. So Prasanna, when you look at the what's going on with AI, we understand that AI primarily should be a business capability. 
the outcome of that will also be utilized by the business folks, but they cringe at the very idea of dabbling in it because it looks like so far and so alien-like. So how do people like you deal with this? Sanjog, this is nothing new uh, in terms of uh, making IT business cases. You know, it's always an uphill battle uh, unless it's a very ripe technology, you know, like CRM. You know, you don't need to convince many businesses, you know, or a business warehouse. Uh, perhaps uh, 15 years ago, it would have been an uphill battle, right? So AI being on the early part of its adoption, you know, it's only certain uh, leaders who are embracing it more actively, right? So it is it is going to be uh, a, a challenging business case, to say the least, right? But the, the most important thing is in, in cultivating the ground, you know, what are we trying to really accomplish? Uh, is AI something totally different from any of the IT tools, solutions that we have been uh, uh promoting in the past? Not really. I mean, this is another way of doing things better, right? Rather radically better, right? So the key thing is that uh, we we get the uh, socializing of AI, machine learning, data mining, process mining, all these concepts, uh, the, uh, the business owners must be acquainted with. Uh, fortunately, uh, business is more savvy than before. That's a good sign. Uh, but again, it depends on the industry. You know, if you are in, uh, in banking, uh, retail, FMCG, uh, the chance of adoption is much more uh, smoother. Uh, it's much more uh, tangible, right? Other industries, uh, for example, I'm in manufacturing and we also have a bit of uh, transportation, FMCG, a bit of uh, uh, different things. Uh, so we are looking at uh, uh, some uh, really impactful business cases. Uh, even so, I mean, it, it's it's new. It's always that gap that we need to bridge. Uh, I would say, you know, we, we while we take the traditional approach of making business cases, uh, value propositions, uh, getting the analyst reports and so on and so forth. Uh, but I think the the social aspect of uh, delivering this technology is is. Uh, quite significant. Mark, how much should we consider AI? Like, you know, the way Prasanna mentioned that it can be seen similar to what another AI, like IT project, right? Or anything new that you put out there, business always cringes because they feel, man, this has come out of nowhere and now we have to deal with it. So they say, okay, folks, IT from IT, go ahead and deal with it. But this one, can they afford to stay away from it even though they cringe, and can IT just take this as yet another new technology? Because this is kind of different. What do you think? How would you categorize AI? I, I think to, to add to what Prasanna said, there, there really isn't any such thing as an AI business case. There's, there's a business case that, that may employ some AI methods, but you know, the gold standard still remains you know, focusing on you know, what are the reasons for the project, what are you doing it for? Uh, what sort of technology framework will you, you will you utilize? Uh, how are you going to deliver this project? Are you going to deliver it in a you know leaning towards agile or towards a waterfall methodology? And and what's your expected timeline for return? And and I would agree that um, 
15 years ago, maybe you would have to do some evangelizing around the benefits of, of AI. But I think most companies that are successful in this really have the business own it. And it's not really an IT owned asset. We own the data and we own the pipelines, but the business really owns the rationale around the roadmap for what AI is going to do to bring value to the business. Prasanna, when you look at this whole um, AI related capability, it's essentially, I know one of the biggest uh, sticky point for many was it's a human, it's a replacement for human beings doing certain processes using their intelligence and their ability to do some labor. And that's why there was a big pushback on this. Have we gotten over this? And as a result of it, have we been able to scale it? Because the more you scale, um, there is a concern among humans, the very humans you want to have participate in the scaling effort. Yes. Uh, you know, Sanjog, if you recall back in 90s, you know, when banks started adopting computing, computers, desktops, you know, Unix mainframes, there's a lot of pushback. You know, in some countries I've seen, uh, there's a lot of unionized activity uh, to resist uh, the computerization, so to speak, back then. Uh, we can see similar concerns, especially around ethics and the use of data, right? It's, it's, a, it's a slightly different shade. It's not identical, but it's different, but similar. So uh, I think we have to still address, I mean, the, the questions around uh, uh, how AI is going to be deployed, how it's going to impact the, the, the human dimension, uh, I think is something that needs to be addressed. Uh, how uh, these uh, automated uh, uh, activities, you know, uh, there's some intelligence, right? Uh, it's doing some situational response uh, based on certain criteria. So we, we need to make sure that uh, whatever AI we are trying to deploy, right? Uh, it's, first of all, for ease of adoption, we should pick business cases uh, uh, in such a way that they are, pretty much no-brainers, where AI can make an impact, right? Uh, areas like, uh, you know, uh, for us, uh, we, we see AI business cases with, uh, with logistics orchestration, right? Uh, to, to have AI do those things brings a sigh of relief to many line managers, you know, which otherwise relies on a bunch of manual and, uh, and uh, system-centric tasks, right? So uh, in my view, I think the, the human side cannot be understated, um, but I think uh, the innovation side of this, you know, I think people are getting pumped up. I think the, the largest search company that we all know uh, is emphasizing on the AI technology significantly, and they have been demonstrating certain business case, uh, certain use cases around you know, how AI can speed up uh, the diagnosis of certain types of diseases that are not even, uh, that would take days. And sometimes you may not even get an accurate diagnosis from the traditional uh, medicine, you know, uh, or medical practitioners. So there's some impressive things. I think each one is a unique case, unique scenario. Uh, we have to factor in the, the human side of it. 
you know, both in IT as well as in business, right? Uh, but I think it's just another new new phase. You know, I think uh, people will find business will adapt uh, just as we did, uh, you know, albeit in a slightly different way, but the change will come and we will survive. Mark, I mean, just to let you know, we have been covering AI while it was in the labs and these similar questions were asked and some of those problems still stay and, and they are chronic or, or they are tough to tackle and that's why we, they still exist. Since the topic is steps to scaling AI, which means, yeah, we got the fundamentals in place, hopefully, so that we are starting to crawl. And here we're talking about scaling. If you were given an option to list out prerequisites, which will be absolutely needed before someone can even think about scaling AI in their company, which ones would those be? Well, I think first and foremost, we can't underemphasize under the, the foundational aspect of, of what we're doing here. So for me, it's the data pipeline. It's, it's whatever you're building right now for your data pipeline for things like data warehousing or doing data lakes or just the, you know, the, the basic health and, and munging process of your data. So if you already have people that are on staff that are doing the data exploration and the data transformation and the enrichment and the validation of a lot of your data, then you've automatically taken a very big first step to making that data available for the data scientists to begin to use. And you've allowed them to, to really start the first step of, um, you know, in the case of say, um, uh, a, basic, a basic ML model, they can begin labeling because you're working now with SMEs that have already been through the first step of making sure that that data is of the highest quality. And uh, really the next logical step before you begin to build the model is how do you label it? How do you build your features? And if you don't have the foundation, if you don't have those data sets available, uh, you, you really have to go back to the beginning and make sure that the, the foundation of your data is healthy. So Prasanna, when you look at where we are today. And like, you know, we used to do maturity uh, curves or, or we used to measure the maturity of an organization in a given context. What would you say about the maturity levels for most organizations without grossly generalizing them? Are they ready to scale their AI efforts or there is some ways to go? Yeah, Sanjog, I, I was... Uh recently reading uh, some survey by a leading uh, management consulting firm. They have surveyed about 800 organizations and they found that only 10% were somewhat successful in getting tangible results out of AI deployments, right? Uh, and out of that, uh, about uh, really about 15% uh, really got a lot done. So the success rate, uh, the adoption curve is still uh, on the rise, but it's not where it should be. So it is, I think uh, to me, it is, it, is a, it, is a, it is a serious niche as of now. Uh, in, in, you know, and it's also industry specific. You know, where you are looking at is, uh, you are you're, you're, uh, looking at uh, mainly customer facing uh, domains, you know, uh, uh, 
things like uh, you know the ones that directly impact revenue. That's, those are the ones that we get a good deal of traction, right? Uh, AI-driven customer care is is a is a very early adoption business case. Uh, call center optimization uh, is is interesting. Inventory optimization is great. Uh, and then uh, cross-selling, upselling, you know, AI-based chatbots, you know. So these are typical ones that we see where a lot of businesses are getting value. Uh, but as far as the other traditional nuts and bolts business operations, uh, it's still on the low side. I think one thing that is really pumping up businesses is that competitive adoption, right? We see the competition embracing certain uh, AI-driven technologies. And they see them in action. And, and we find them coming back and asking, hey, how did they do it? Uh, why can't we do it? Why aren't we doing it? You know. So there are typical uh, conversation starters uh, for AI. Uh, and I think that's where the business should focus on to begin with. Mark, what have you seen that has worked for companies? Because, of course, personally, you gave that, okay, small percentage of those eight or 10 companies who were polled, they found that they were not as successful. Here we're talking scaling. So yes, there will always be those uh, companies who have not been successful, but that should not make a doom and gloom situation. What would, what would you say have you seen that has made you successful? Where are you, by the way, uh, Mark, in your journey to scaling these efforts? And what have you seen working and what's turning out to be a damper for you for these initiatives? Well, we, we see a, a lot of the same things that Persona just mentioned, it really is dependent upon the organization. So where we've seen the most penetration, where we've seen the most maturity and, and scaling is around CRM, is around AI-enabled uh, chatbots, and moving very quickly into using AI to, to help uh, with the predictive modeling around inventory. So I think those are are use cases that if you go out and you're trying to manage your risk and you and you ask other companies, uh, what are you doing? Where are you successful? It, I think you'll find that really CRM and inventory management are are the two primary areas where we can use other companies in as, as an example of how did we scale that? How did we maintain it? And, and I think also typically in the world of CRM, our, our data models are more mature. And so we've already done a lot of that foundational homework uh, that, that may not be present in, in other areas of, of, uh, of businesses. So I, I would say we've seen the same thing. I would say uh, from an adoption point of view, especially around the evangelism and the enthusiasm we get from our business units, uh, CRM, marketing, and, uh, and e-commerce all uh, are leading the fight. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back after these messages. And when we come back, Prasanna, how about we talk about the very foundational elements that we spoke about, right? We spoke about data infrastructure, the models, and everything that you need for AI to be successful. But are organizations willing to spend that much upfront to, uh, with the confidence that they'll be able to scale I'm sure they're beyond the experimentation stage, but to what degree are they investing and how are they trying to build that capability? Are they building, buying, leasing, outsourcing? What are they trying to do? 
Listeners, please stay tuned. We'll be right back and discuss. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog All. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Prasanna, we need strong foundation, and data, of course, is going to be key the type of infrastructure for computing and the models that you would need for AI to work and deliver the results we expect. How are organizations approaching this capability building without truly knowing how much investment will lead to what ROI given the newness and the flavors that keep popping up on the way you can deliver value using AI? So are they building, buying, leasing, outsourcing? What are they doing? Or what makes sense? at different stages. Sancho, uh, in my conversations with uh, some of my CIO friends and uh, industry analysts, uh, I mean, personally, I have to say that uh, we are uh, on the adoption curve. We are working on few business cases. Uh, We don't have any active AI scenarios uh, that business is using today, right? Uh, we use some very large-scale ERP solutions. We are uh, dispersed on cloud. We have a strong hybrid environment, right? Uh, we have the ingredients. We have the foundation. Um, but the the mobilization of business is, is still a work in progress that keeps happening. Now, uh, my observation from other businesses uh, that have done it uh, in a reasonably successful manner, uh, they are really innovators. They're aggressive, you know. I mean, you they, they really set the example. I mean, you have to exclaim, wow, you, you can do that too, right? Uh, so aggressive funding is really, really important. You know, once you identify the business case, uh, you know, you have to really ramp it up very quickly, right? Uh, strong data foundation. Uh, I see those that have built uh, good data warehouses uh, good databases, good master data management, they're able to quickly leverage and minimize the confusion with AI, right? And, and another very important dimension uh, is having well-rounded skills, you know, data scientists, uh, application innovators, right? Business analysts, uh, communicators, you know, those are really, really key ingredients to have, right? And then, once you start, uh, what I've seen is that it's it's quite agile. Don't try to build the perfect solution on first run, right? It, it's going to take some iterations. It's going to do some. Uh, it's going to take some learning, right? Like we're talking about machine learning here, right? So uh, uh, to me, it's 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 proper identification of business cases, right? Based on the industry segment that you're in. Uh, and I think there are plenty 
quite a bit, quite a few templates. You know, I mean, uh, two years ago we had to really do some serious research, right? Uh, today we see quite a few product offerings from many leading providers. Uh, many of them have their uh, uh, deployed AI machine learning RPA frameworks in the cloud offerings, right? If you are doing some colocation or uh, our platform as a service, you have options to plug into the off-the-shelf APIs that do AI and machine learning, right? So, and, and they are also uh, beginning to deploy more and more templates, right? There's at least, you, you go to any of those AI solutions, you see a few uh, sample scenarios. So I think, you know, if, if you have to really ask yourself, I mean, what, what can we do with AI? I mean, if, if somebody is savvy, they can do a little bit of reading around, plenty of analyst information, content, you know, podcasts like this, fabulous, right? Uh, they can give you plenty of insight on what to get started, you know? Uh, I think that would be a good starting point and socializing with, uh, with the business stakeholders, you know, carry them along. Uh, walk them through what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, give some visual of what others are accomplishing with AI, right? Uh, to me, those are some key uh, steps that we can take to begin the journey of adoption. Mark, would you have any ideas about what would prevent unnecessary bruising and pitfalls in in building this capability, if you will, or are some myths that we C is hurting people. I mean, look, it's very hard. This is a this is a cultural change. You're 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 trying to advise the people that make decisions in your business to move really from an experience driven model to a data driven model. And I, I think always there's a little bit of of distrust there because people are moving away from something that they've been doing for years and putting their trust in something that they don't fully understand. So from a, from a cultural point of view, we really do have to begin the journey with explaining what the advantages are with a properly trained model in providing a lot of data-driven analytics. So I, I think that needs to start well in advance of, of any company that wants to go down this route and do a, a whole large-scale adoption of AI. And then I think on top of that, just from an organizational perspective, uh, you need to build a center of excellence around this capability. And this isn't just data scientists and data engineers and IT DevOps, because you, of course, want to productionalize everything, but these are business units. These are the domain experts that come together and the, the product owners that really own the roadmap of what, what are the, what are the, the key measurements that I, I want to have this, this AI model derive. And, and then really even getting into, um, you know, what is the, from an HR perspective, what is the effect of AI on the business? And how do we deal with people? Uh, we spoke earlier about people, uh, you know, potentially being uh, nervous around this model, removing them from, from their livelihood. And so sitting down and really beginning to talk about why we're, why we're doing this, why we need access to better decision-making processes and how this is helpful for 
everybody to perform their jobs and make good decisions. I think you just have to start there before any technology gets laid down. So uh, let me ask another question, Mark. We want uh, AI to be utilized wherever possible. Automation can lead to cost savings, which is, of course, powered by AI. And frankly, if you build some good models and it gives us the insights, we can also use that as a competitive advantage. What would you say how to build, how, how should an organization build this capability without losing the, 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 the properly guarded intellectual property they had been building in the past, which they may put in the machine, which then is not available openly, but still it's in a digital form now. And or how do they use AI to build an intellectual property, period? Uh, I'll answer the first part of that question. Um, and then we can move on from there. For me, uh, when you read a lot of the the opinion pieces on how to properly build a an AI team within your organization, one of the key positions they mentioned are lawyers. And that really is because when you look at some of the patents that have been filed, uh, this is the first time we've seen several patent applications where the applicant has actually declared that that AI technology is part of the group of inventors. And I think that's opened up a whole discussion around does intellectual property law extend to machines that are building new algorithms that are finding better ways to do things or can they be patented at all? And what happens if a machine in its purest form of, you know, a, an unsupervised learning model develops something independent that that potentially impacts or interferes with somebody else's patent. And how do you defend that? And how do you actually patent that? That That's a discussion I think that we'll be having for years uh, because it, it does really bring up um, the question, are humans the only one capable of, of inventing patentable things? That's a pretty interesting angle that you bring up. So are you saying the attorneys will be richer than the companies who you build AI? Yeah. I, I, uh, I would say that um, having, having read the, the latest feedback on this, that um, I'm going to make sure our, our legal department is always present uh, as we introduce new technology around AI. And with that said, Prasanna, a very logical question would be if anyone is trying to talk about intellectual property and they are also then trying to bundle AI as easily consumable products, if you will, how the productization of AI and then, you know, piggybacking on the previous response from Mark about the intellectual property, what would make sense? How do we productize AI? Should we only start moving towards eventually building AI into a product and so that it becomes commoditized, if you will, even though it is used only internally? And all this while, how do we handle these other softer issues which are related to intellectual property and the ongoing product management, et cetera? It's a loaded question, but I'd like you to take a stab at it. I'll try, Sanjo. Yeah, indeed, it is. Uh, it is uh, a very complex issue. Uh, a lot of ethics and uh, privacy and uh, compliance 
borderlining issues. Uh, as Mark said, I think uh, this is an evolving topic and it will go on for quite some time. Uh, uh, but uh, given where we are, uh, in my view, the traditional IP protection and patenting approaches would still apply. You know, you, you bought an AI solution. I mean, of course, you have to also look at the licensing you know, whether you built the AI from scratch or you are leveraging a productized version of the shelf, right? Uh, if, if it is off the shelf, then you have to look at the implications, you know, whether there are any uh, exclusions, right? But for the most part, I think uh, you, you, you have to have a way. If you are, if you are embarking on a, an effort like this, you have to have a way to protect your intellectual property. I mean, each unique thread, for the most part, can be patented to some extent, right? Uh, but again, you know, I mean, to what extent are we going to patent? I mean, ultimately, we are going to be looking at outcomes. You know, uh, in eventually, the, the nature of technology is that the a competition will eventually figure out a way to uh, to achieve similar outcomes and at, at some point we just uh, you know unless you are a technology company or a patent attorney you know you, you're not going to spend too much time uh, trying to go after competition trying to do similar things right uh, yeah sure it will be uh, of, of uh, some concern but I would say eventually the focus is going to be on the outcomes on the uh, deliverables that you are trying to achieve from a deployment of AI, uh, so uh, it's 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 an open-ended discussion. That's how I see it. So, Prasanna, do you see productizing AI as a simplest recipe to scaling AI efforts? Because if you can do that, if you can just focus on productizing anything that you've envisioned, then you can use the age-old mature principles which are used for product life cycle management and other related things that you can do with it. You could apply on it and you've essentially put that in a box and keep building boxes and keep scaling. Is it easier said than done? It's, uh, I think it's, it's getting easier as, as days go by. Right. I mean, two, three years ago, AI is more on the innovation side. You know, now it is getting into mainstream adoption. You know, we're seeing subtle uh, but ever-present application of AI. You know, you call your airline, you chat with your uh, booking agent. You know, many places you are seeing AI-based responsiveness and decision-making that is happening. Right. We are not noticing it, but it is there. So I, I'd see a lot more productized AI happening. You know, I mean, the thing is that it's not every organization is going to set up a dev team and uh, data scientists and all that. You know, there's a lot of democratization that is going on. That's the very foundational thing with AI is that intelligence is going to be democratized, right? In the past, you have to rely on the smartest guys to get, give you the insights and uh, and make a difference, you know? I mean, uh, but I think it's going to be more democratic where AI uh, delivered outcomes are going to be adequate for most businesses, you know? I mean, there will be a few leading edge innovators 
who will always have stronger in-house teams, center of excellences, like we talked about, uh, that uh, that do more cutting-edge things. But for, I would say, 70% of the businesses, they're going to get by using traditional productized uh, solutions uh, in more and more in the next two to five years. So, Mark, good old days when we used to talk about carts, right? Custom of the shelf. And then people said, we want to build something custom to us because that's our source of competitive advantage that allows us to streamline our functions, et cetera, et cetera. So are we going full circle with AI? Are we saying, again, we will leave the, the art and the science of building AI or converting AI into a product to somebody else, and then we'll wait for that to mature for us to use it. And all this while, since we are not planning to hire developers and the data scientists, we will just stay put. How would you do with your organization? Would you be willing to you know, pause your efforts because productizing is the only way to scale it and products are not available and so on? No, I would agree with uh, Prasanna that we've seen a lot of democratization. I mean, if you, if you look back to the early days before AI was really prevalent and we tried to codify a, a lot of this advanced work through rules engines and things of that nature, we, we really started at the low level of maturity with building and finding people within our organization that can build those rules-based engines for us. And then when it became more mainstream, you could, you could buy that. You could democratize a lot of that and remove the need for a lot of really high-end, very expensive uh, you know, rules engines developers that, that would potentially um, not be satisfied uh, 365 days a year. I think we see the same thing in especially supervised learning models. A lot of it, um, you you can go out and, and you can buy. And to the point where you do need to uh, wrap it into an existing product, uh, we're not doing anything differently uh, to manage this product than we would any other uh, you know traditionally written product. I think about the only difference in maintaining uh, a model-based product like this would be, um, you know, things like model drift. Um, and if you're building an agile, if you're, if you're doing the, you know, the think, uh, write, test, refactor type of agile methodology, you're always going back and you're looking uh, at your model. And if it's drifted off of its intended result and you're making changes to it, I think where you still see, a little bit more of an investment in internal resources is really on the unsupervised model because unsupervised models are very data hungry. Uh, they want a lot of history. Um, they need a lot of compute power and those aren't as readily available to buy off the shelf as a, as a supervised model would be. Let's take a quick break listers. We'll be right back. And uh, Prasanna, when we come back, since you mentioned products, how about talking product engineering or product lifecycle management and those similar functions which are very mature and actually will perhaps get there. So either we take the ownership or we collaborate with other companies who want to take this as, or say a technology company or a consortium who would take these AI capabilities, put them in a product, turn around and give them to you for you to use. Whosoever ends up doing it, whether you are collaborating or you're giving guidance or you're the one consuming it, what skills, mindset, and collaboration, communication needs to happen fundamentally 
So this ecosystem is developed. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and discuss. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Prasanna, product engineering, product lifecycle management, there could be a lot of different functions which are mature and could be utilized to formalize the very process of ideation, prototyping, operationalizing, versioning, maturing. There are a lot of them out there. And that could all be utilized very well, as we've done for other type of products, into building the AI pipeline, assuming AI can be productized. So, whether you do it, you get a partner, you collaborate, you co-source or outsource. Still, some capabilities will be needed. And if this is so new, not sure if all capabilities exist. So what skills, what mindset, what collaboration, what ownership needs to be in place for us to see this dream come true? Sanjog, in my view is that uh, whatever good things that we're doing, you know, with DevOps, with Agile, uh, it only gets an accelerated uh, kick with doing things like AI, right? Uh, Many AI projects uh, are three to six months. You don't see any of these projects lasting for more than six months. Uh, If if we are doing like that, then I think you are on to some serious innovation research, right? So the traditional productized approach, you know, uh, in, in, in ours is a manufacturing organization. We take a productized approach for our solutions. We have more internal applications that we developed, which we figured that nobody could do it better than ourselves. Then we have a bunch of off-the-shelf products that we use, right? So for generally, we take the product approach for the ones that we are building uh, are doing some major adaptation, right? So assuming that uh, it's going to be a hybrid, you know, I think there is there is going to be a decent amount of building involved, especially at this point in time. A product-centric approach, you know, you have a product manager who is not necessarily a, a, a AI geek or a data scientist. You know, uh, a business analyst or a project manager uh, with with an edge on AI and the uh, and the product management principles, right? That's the kind of profile that can drive the AI-based product delivery. You know, uh, productization of many of these newer technologies, I think, is is like a, a is like a benchmark for success, right? Uh, so. I'd say that uh, you have to uh, 
make best use of what we have learned over the years, you know, with uh, mature organizations that have DevOps, uh, Agile, uh, in-house, somewhat become part of the culture, you know. We have known how to leverage development platforms uh, uh, online as well as offline. And we have known, you know, we, we have evolved in in uh, quality assurance and testing and uh, user adoption approaches, right? So it's a combination of all these, you know, a bit of cost management, a bit of expectations management, uh, plenty of uh, change management and UX uh, sensibility, right? All these ingredients come together with some agile uh, scheduling and iterative delivery, you know? So those are the uh, wanted features for delivering productized AI, right? Uh, I mean, a product can also be an external product that you're embracing off the shelf. You know, even that can use some of this, right? So it's, 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 uh, it's not radically different. You know, what makes this different is the, is the, is the data part of it, you know, as Mark mentioned, right? The, the data side of it. Um, so as, as you, as you evolve data, you know, how are you going to uh, uh, build it into some side products? You know, sometimes you, the things keep evolving with the AI, right? Uh, so how do you interconnect uh, different uh, existing data platforms? Uh, so I think a, a productized approach uh, inside and out, you know, uh, combined with, uh, uh, you know, a mature DevOps and uh, agile is, is, I think to me, is a, is a key ingredient for delivering it. So when a product or a process becomes mature, then you know what it takes to run it the way it should be run. But since AI is a moving target, Mark, how on earth could someone come up with a governance structure without knowing what that maturity level looks like? Well, we have to look to what we know already. And uh, like Prasanna had mentioned, we're, we're already building uh, production-capable systems on our own. So whether you uh, are doing integration between a couple of different ERPs or whether you're uh, an organization that's gone ahead and said, uh, we can't find anything off the shelf, we're going to build it. The, the same governance that you use to build any product, you would also use to, to build uh, a machine learning model. And, and really what it comes down to is when you're leaning towards an, an agile methodology, the business is really responsible and subject matter experts are really responsible for identifying what are the things that we want to measure and how do we want to use them? And so when you, when you look to build a governance model around that, uh, when you look at it from the, what's the responsibility of technology and what's the responsibility of the business, the business still has the domain experts like it would in any other agile project. And they have their product owners uh, that are responsible for the roadmap. Those are the people that are basically telling you, this is the type of data-driven decision-making that we need. And then from that, that centralized technology hub that you have, 
you've got your data scientists, which are essentially your architects, and they're designing the models and then uh, handing them over to your data engineers that are building the models. And those are essentially your developers. And once those models are built and proven and tested using the same uh, agile methodology and the same QA process that we've done um, in years past, then that moves to the DevOps team to begin to build. So I think the, the short answer to your question is we look to what we know already and we know and have embraced agile as a methodology to allow us to productize uh, different parts of, of what we thought needed to be codified and, and, and made part of our, our business process. So Prasanna, a fundamental question is that most organizations don't say that their AI uh, initiatives have really been bearing, you know, huge fruits, if you will. And then even sometimes the outcome that we will experience and, and, and the value creation may, may take longer than expected. And all this while, you also are saying, let me scale the AI efforts and let me put governance in place. Where's the money going to come from? when we cannot show ROI short-term, mid-term, and only thing which we see is long-term? Well, I think uh, the, the key uh, requirement here is to socializing. You know, that's where the leaders of IT, uh, the data organizations, uh, technology leaders in the organization come to play, you know, to educate the business owners to keep them abreast of what is happening if they don't already know it, right? Uh, that communication aspect is really, really key uh, so that we have a common vision and goal. Ultimately, uh, uh, we are an IT uh, technology organization. We are not doing it for ourselves for the most part, right? 90% is directly for business outcomes. Uh, so, I think selling that vision. I think it's it's the it's, it goes back to the same old uh, conundrum, you know, with uh, with making convincing the business to adopt certain pieces of technology, right? Uh, I mean, in, interestingly, we end up becoming the torch bearers in in many cases uh, because of our proximity to some of these technologies, right? Uh, at the at the expense of uh, appearing like nerds and cool kids, you know, trying to buy all the new toys. So uh, the key thing is selling the value. I mean, it's driven by the value. It's driven by what is competition doing, right? Uh, if people have to make a choice, do we want to be uh, left behind? Or do we want to be in the race uh, and uh, and 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 be in that uh, elite club of uh, early adopters? Uh, who can make best out of this technology. I think we don't need to really look very hard for business cases. Uh, two, three years ago, perhaps it was the case, but I think uh, now it is much more easier to adopt and uh, and sell. Uh, there are some ready recorder use cases, right? You, you need to start building a serious uh, data science uh, team, analytics team, if you are looking for something really bleeding. Right, uh, I see a significant uh, change, at least from my vantage point, 
that uh, a lot of this AI technology is getting democratized and it's much more easier to sell. I mean, you, you show uh, some of those uh, large search companies' videos on how they're showcasing some of the uh, consumerized use cases for AI and what goes on behind the scenes, the power of data, uh, you know, the big data that is uh, at work, you know, and, and talking about uh, automating it, you know, with machine learning, you know, and that, that is the, the it's that algorithmic power is, 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 uh, is, is impressive. I mean, we don't really have to struggle as hard, you know, I think many times what I've seen is that uh, AI business cases make people exclaim, wow, I mean, is this possible, right? Uh, and uh, it's, it's not too hard once you're able to catch the pulse of the right business problem and, uh, and, and, and put some uh, PLCs. Uh, so uh, I, I, to me, it's, it's, it's more of, you know, a bit of traditional plus a bit of more socialized, social, uh, you know, internal social engineering, if I may call say so. <laughs> Sanjog, you've been asking us, so let me ask you, so how do you see this going? I mean, what have you seen, especially in the last two, three years? And where do you see this going in the next two, three years? Well, people are going to use AI as the best way possible to make their life better, their business better. And they will try to navigate through the haze like they did with digital. So there is, there is promise ahead. It's more about scaling and doing it methodically is where the question was. And that's where the topic was brought up. Yeah. So, so, so that said, I have only, I guess, 30 seconds to ask you, uh, Mark, what would you do as a leader to be better prepared for scaling AI? 30 seconds or less. I think setting expectations. I think uh, we, we talked at length about, um, you know, the business case is a pretty traditional business case for AI, but it does have some additional challenges and complexity because you really can't, uh, you really can't, uh, there's some unpredictability there that, that you can't explain away. But I think most agile organizations are prepared to, to fail fast at times. And failure becomes part of our learning curve. And so for me, just explaining to people that there are going to be models that we build that don't do what we want them to, to do, or that require a lot more work than we had initially forecasted, and that um, it's okay to have some failures on our way to success. Once again, thank you so much, Mark and Prasanna, for sharing your insights about how organizations can take confident steps to scaling AI. Thank you. Thank you. Our pleasure. Thank you. And uh, listeners, hope you enjoyed. Got some nuggets. Be ready to scale AI. Connect with us on social media. Subscribe to our podcast. And once again, thank you for listening to CTN. This is your host, Sanjog All, signing off till next week. Take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.